Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Have you ever considered building your very own sales playbook? You might realize that you are finding difficulty establishing sales success across your team and maybe having difficulty um, developing accountability. And what you might realize is that a sales playbook can actually help you solve those problems. To learn more about that, check out our ebook called The Ultimate Guide to Creating and Managing a Sales Playbook. In it, you will find a step-by-step model for creating a sales playbook for your business. So go ahead and grab your copy today. You can find the link in the notes for today's show, which are at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod185. So you might have noticed that um, we're talking about playbooks here. That is because our theme for the month of September is sales playbooks and how they can help improve your sales process. Here on the podcast, we've been talking to our guests about it, and you can check out criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog for more information and advice for you and your team. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and today I am speaking to an entrepreneur who has over 20 years of sales and leadership experience, primarily in the technology space, which is always um, fun and fast moving. He is the founder of Growth Acumen, a company that offers B2B sales acceleration programs, and he's the author of a great new book called Future Proof Sales Strategy. He also hosts the Future Proof Selling Podcast, and he is based in beautiful Sydney, Australia. So we are very glad to have you here, and welcome to the show. Our guest today is Stephen Norman. Great to be with you today, Elizabeth. Looking forward to the chat. I am looking forward to it as well. Um, I just gave a really brief kind of overview of your bio, but I know a resume never really reflects who a person is. So I'd love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Um, Maybe talk a bit about where your passion for business began, or tell us about some of the key stops along the journey um, to where you are right now. Yeah, sure. I can tell you a bit about my my journey in in sales and business and management. Uh, I was the first account executive for Dell in the Asia-Pacific region. So well, when, when Dell started up in Australia, uh, I joined. So that was back in 1993. Uh, I'd already had some sales experience before then, uh, but I enjoyed 13 years with Dell from, from that very humble beginning, knocking on doors, uh, doing all, all the, uh, the slogging around, doing all the cold calling and, and, and winning all the early accounts uh, to Dell becoming a multi-billion dollar business uh, across the Asia Pacific, and, and through that, uh, had a lot of different roles: uh, managing you know, large account sales teams, managing enterprise teams, managing consumer, managing all of marketing uh, for the region, uh, product product roles. I was the president of Dell's Korean business. Uh, I set up uh, the uh, the consumer and small business group in India, and, and did a lot of other interesting things. Um, since then, I, I ran the the Targus business for Asia Pacific for nine years, based out of Hong Kong, and uh, that that was really exciting. Uh, you know, managing a lot of B two B as well as consumer and distribution businesses um, across the region, managing a lot of people. Um, so I came back to Australia a couple of years ago and was wondering, you know, what can I do that that's interesting and maybe not go back into to corporate and doing those those sort of large, complex corporate jobs that, that really own you and could I carve out a niche. And, and when I look back at what I really enjoyed doing uh, in my corporate career, it was developing people. It was helping people be more successful, be the best they can be. 
And uh, so, so that's what I've, I've built my business around is, is helping sales leaders and business leaders uh, in roles that I used to do and uh, helping them uh, be more successful and, and implement world-class sales practices. I absolutely love that. And I really find so much that's compelling in your story, Stephen, because we see a lot of people um, who who have a long sales career and kind of stay in that lane and stay selling. And that's wonderful. And the more that you learn over time, the more best practices you're able to develop. But some people really develop that, um, that interest in taking the best practices that they've learned and sharing them and spreading them with other people. And to me, I just find that incredibly compelling because it, it's not just about collecting best practices and applying them for yourself and getting better at your craft, but actually about um, making, you know, making life easier for other people and helping other people be more successful and really contributing to them. Yeah, and, and I really saw just so much conflicting information out there and just so much content on what sales practices are. And I know when I was a practicing sales leader, you know, that's as recently as, you know, two, two and a half years ago, you're so busy doing your day job, it's very hard to sort through what you should be doing. And there's not a lot of folks you can really talk to about that. So uh, there's, there's definitely a glaring need um, for what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think uh, sales leaders and business leaders need all the help they can get in the current sales environment. Definitely. So as I mentioned in the intro, you recently published a book. It's called Future Proof Sales Strategy, Seven Steps to Rise Above the Chaos, Transform Your Team, and Take Charge of Your Career. Um, I will tell our listeners, I have not actually finished the book, but I did start it. And it is excellent. I very much have enjoyed what I've read so far. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about your book? Yeah, sure. I I saw a gap in the sales literature. Uh, if you like, I, I see uh, there's a lot of great books for sellers and tactical sales strategies, if you like. Um, I also see a lot of uh, management books out there that are very inspiring, that talk about leadership, um, talk about you know, uh, inspiring people, leading people, uh, MBA type of, uh, of products or let's say a great entrepreneur management books. But I really didn't see a lot for sales leaders and how sales leaders should be navigating uh, the current situation. So it's very much targeted to handbook based on hundreds of interviews, studying lots of companies, talking to experts all around the world on what a modern sales structure, what modern sales processes look like. And also how to, not just what they are, but how to go and implement them effectively how to manage stakeholders effectively, how to drive change effectively. I think that is just such an important topic, Stephen, and I'm so glad that you mentioned it because you're right. I think we see so many books that are really targeted to individual producers and individual salespeople, and that's important, certainly. They need best practices, and we need to be helping people who are interested in learning and growing. But I think sales leaders have probably the most difficult job in most organizations. You hear about um, all the pressure that they're getting from above, right? The executives are coming in. Why aren't you hitting your numbers. Um, you know, you might have lost a few salespeople. You've got to make it up. What are you going to do to, to perform? And they're getting all that pressure. 
And then there's pressure from below from the sales team. Um, I would imagine, I know we've had clients in the Asia-Pac region and, you know, there's so many different languages, so many different cultures. How are you expecting me to sell into Malaysia? I don't know how to communicate with people there. Um, and all this difficulty coming from below. And the poor sales leader is kind of stuck in the middle, getting all of that pressure and having a lot to deal with. And so it's so incredibly important to have resources um, and best practices that you can share with, with those sales leaders who are just trying to be successful and trying to, trying to do their jobs well. Yeah, absolutely, and and you know, there's been some some other longer term pressures uh, coming onto the sales leader. Um, you know, in when I look at the past, say like 10, 15 years ago, twenty years ago, in, in that period, uh, where did the CEO go for information about the customer or what was happening in the market? They would go to the sales leader, and and the sales leader you know had a very mm-hmm. prominent position at the leadership table. But we've seen in the last decade or so, you know, the rise of the customer experience officer. That's something that never existed before. That's now got a, a very good view of what's happening with our customers. We've seen the rise of the CMO. And uh, you know, in B2B companies, the marketing function wasn't taken that seriously in the past. But it's completely transformed in the last decade. And they're, they're adding tremendous value. They've got great tools. Uh, that they're able to give great intelligence to the CEO. So in, in some ways, the sales leadership role, I, I don't want to say it's been diminished, but it's, it's had to compete for attention. And I don't think it's had the attention. And my book is also helping sales leaders to have something to say at the table and be putting forward, hey, this is what we should be doing in the sales function. Here's how we should be more customer-centric. Uh, they should be really contributing to that that leadership and strategic conversation. Definitely. And that's exactly what I'm getting out of the book. And it's you're so right in terms of the the development of leadership in so many other areas of organizations, which is wonderful. Um, it's important to have a robust leadership team so you get a lot of different perspectives. But then if you have a more kind of traditional sales leader who's who's a little less focused on the big picture and just a little more focused on their team and hitting the numbers and, and kind of that small looking down approach, you're going to lose the ability to be a part of the strategic direction of the company. And then you're actually more likely to get buffeted by the winds around you and to get, um, you know, to have strategies implemented that are going to be more difficult to achieve because maybe they're not well aligned with what the market is looking for. So it's really important for sales leaders to be involved in those conversations and to be able to join those um, and, and add their perspective and add their expertise so that they're able to you know, position things to be more effective for their own teams. Yeah. And I, I think there's a great opportunity for sales leaders. We need a new breed of sales leader. I really think we're in or we're on the cusp of the age of sales. And uh, you and I have spoken before about you know what I see as as happening to companies um, in 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 the past they obtain their strategic advantage um, through innovation with their products um, and yeah a lot of value was created in product development and innovation and it was the sales role to sort of carry that message carry that product to customers in the market right almost like the old walking brochure um, but today. The old sustainable competitive advantage that we learn about in MBA school 10 years and 20 years ago, 
when most CEOs did their MBAs, that just doesn't exist anymore. Any competitive advantage we have is at best transient. And then there's a lot of studies on this. Mm -hmm. And if we think about our customers and in how many ways they can solve uh, a specific problem and the numbers of competitors that are out there and the flattening of the global economy where we're now competing with competitors from all over the world all the time, non-traditional competitors, to think that you can maintain a strategic advantage with product innovation, um, it, it's, it's a pretty flimsy uh, thing to, to, to base uh, your whole company's strategy on. And I, I really think more and more companies are recognizing they need to differentiate where their company meets with the customer. And, and that's the sales function. So I think the sales function is going to play a more and more critical role in, uh, in, in developing strategic capability and, and for companies to be successful. You know, I just couldn't agree more with you, Stephen. I think there, what we're seeing is a split between kind of two different directions that companies and industries are taking. In one, the sales function is being eliminated because salespeople aren't really adding value and buyers are more empowered and buyers want to be able to have that frictionless experience of just buying what they want to receive. But then in other industries, the sales role is growing and salespeople need to meet customers where they are and add the value uh, that they're looking for. But it's important that they exist within that space. And so depending on where a company is going, it's really important to consider both of those directions. And you might even have within one organization, two different you know offerings that they have or two different product lines. And one has that robust sales consultative position that's really guiding a customized solution and the other one is more self-service and to figure out um, as a sales leader what is the value you add how does the sales team contribute to a buying experience and add value to customers is so incredibly important and then also you know figuring out where it doesn't and how can you make that easier for people yeah i yeah i, I totally agree with you and, and we see some companies you know really you know like the, the first group really focusing on like a, a CX experience um, and a very light sales model, if you like, and uh, can definitely see some companies being successful with that. Um, but others uh, where, where the customer needs, needs um, a, a heavier sales presence, some, some consultative uh, type of role, um, the sales function is different than what it used to be. Definitely. So obviously you are a very, um, you're a big thinker in terms of what's happening um, in the industry and, and, and what you're seeing in terms of direction. And so that's kind of where I'm guessing you got the idea of future proofing your sales strategy. But your book is incredibly, you've got the philosophy and the big picture stuff and kind of explaining some of these concepts that we've been talking about. But it's also just incredibly tactical and actionable. Can you share some of the best practices um, or even one best practice from your book that you feel is really important for leaders to future-proof their sales strategy? Yeah, there's, there's a few concepts here. Um, you know, I think the concept of specialization is an important one. And, and we, we see some, some industries adapting this. Um, if we think about other functions, they've been specialized for a long time. 
if we think about, let's say, the finance function in a business, uh, yeah, when a business is small, maybe there's a single finance person that handles accounts payable, accounts receivable, they handle the salaries, um, you know, they, they handle the audit, they, they handle everything, right? Um, and then as they grow, they specialize. You have someone dedicated to accounts payable, you have someone uh, dedicated to receivables, uh, someone else doing ledgers and, and so forth. Uh, but in sales for a long time, we just added more of the same salespeople and they all looked after customers from cradle to grave. And this absolutely built, they're interchangeable. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And you would think with the tremendous changes that you've indicated, you know, with the customers being much more uh, enabled than before, having so much information, um, requiring so much more value to engage with us, um, and and the competitive changes that that I talked about before. Uh, you would think the sales function should specialize, and, and, and we see some great examples of it. Definitely in the SaaS industry, there are some, some models where we see the prospecting function being run by a specialized group that only focus on prospecting and mm-hmm. are adapting the best practices there. So, so, so that's something I talk about. Um, then at the other end, completely the other end, once we have won customers, uh, developing that customer experience and customer service function that, that's really tasked with, okay, taking our existing customers, making sure they're happy, making sure they're get, getting great usage, making sure they're achieving the ROI objectives that they had when they bought our product, making sure that they renew with us and that we can expand. Um, and then in the middle, which I think is uh, the most critical part of the sales function, um, having that that very um, professional, consultative, commercially minded uh, sales function in the middle there that, that, that takes a customer, you know, once, they're, once they've, they've shown interest and takes that through to, you know, to closing the deal. And uh, there, there's so many aspects required in, in each of these areas that their whole science is on their own. You know, to be an expert prospector, mm-hmm. Um, th- th- there's about 30 different things you have to be really good at. Uh, to be great in the middle of the funnel, you know, you've got to be great in negotiation, you've got to be great in discovery, you've got to be great in building business cases, understanding the customer's industry, bringing insight, um, proper questioning techniques, uh, professional voice and tone. And, and there's so many aspects that, that you could work on to be really good at that. Uh, to think that someone is going to be world-class and best across all of those functions uh, just doesn't really make sense to me. So I think specialization is a really big concept um, that sales organizations need to think about. Now, I've been a practicing sales leader and I know there's practicalities and I'm not saying everyone has to have every type of specialist, but at least specialize as much as is relevant to you and your business and your situation. Um, So even if you have a small team, let's say uh, you've got four salespeople, um, maybe allocate one of them to do prospecting and become an expert prospector or allocate one or Mm -hmm. two just to look after existing customers and give them a target 
for growing our business within those existing customers without any distraction or requirement for doing new business. And, and, and that's their job because definitely there's usually a lot of low-hanging fruit with our, our existing customers. And we all know the economics of doing business with existing customers, getting renewals, getting referrals, you know, the profitability and, you know, that the cost is much, much lower than going and getting new business. So I, I really like to see Definitely. dedicated teams and some focus and proper resourcing of, of managing that and then have the rest of the folks, you know, going and, you know, generating new business. So it doesn't have to be too complex. You, I've been in organisations and managed organisations with hundreds of salespeople and you can specialise to a very granular level. You, know, you have your inside, your outside, your prospecting, your developing, your customer experience people, customer service officers. Uh, you can have a very uh, sophisticated. So that, yeah. that's what a modern sales organization looks like. It's sophisticated. It's modern. It's complex. Um, there's a lot of career management and career opportunity and you know, lots of opportunities for people to do different things. So that, that, that will be one, one big thing is specialization. Absolutely. And I think a little point that you touched on at the end is so incredibly important as well. You know, what we see a lot in those flat sales organizations where everybody kind of has the same responsibilities is there are people who are really good at one aspect. Maybe they are just excellent at getting the meeting and they can, they can make the cold calls and they can network and just always manage to get somebody on the phone and, and they always get the meetings, but they're not really very good at then being in the meeting and nurturing an opportunity and closing a deal and then managing an account. And so they end up, even though they're superstars at one thing, they're kind of a mediocre overall salesperson. And Sales in a flat organization really doesn't have much career progression other than do you want to move into sales management? And the skill set that it needs to be a sales manager is not necessarily the same skill set of a salesperson. And so instead, if you've got these different specialties and you've got these different areas of focus, first of all, you're letting people shine in their best areas. And so if you've got that person who can get a meeting and you put them on the prospecting team and they're incented on getting meetings and they are being compensated for getting meetings, then they're going to be able to be that superstar and be able to be um, the, the best version of themselves. And then you might find people who actually can move and progress between one team and the next, not necessarily saying that each, you know, one team is above another team, but over time, somebody might develop more um, abilities that, that address a different team and they're actually able to move. And that's always really exciting for a salesperson to actually be able to see progression in their career, as opposed to kind of, I've been doing the same thing for 10 years or 15 years or more. Um, and so I think it, it really addresses multiple um, multiple benefits for the actual salespeople, not just obviously the benefit that it, pro it provides to the organization and your ability to meet um, customer needs. Yeah, no, I, I think you, you say it very well. And it, it's so critical um, to keep our talent, to retain our talent, to develop our talent. Um, you, you know, we, we know the productivity of salespeople with tenure is much better than, than new folks. It really takes a year or two for even the best salespeople to get up to full, full productivity. Mm -hmm. And uh, it makes a huge difference if we can show them a path of progression, even if it is like some horizontal moves where they're gaining more experience 
And then once they've got broader experience, they can move up. And if we can sort of offer that path, um, yeah, it has a lot of benefits. Definitely. And I have to say, I think we might have talked about this in our pre-call as we were planning for this recording, but I find it kind of funny that one of the hardest jobs that there is in sales is that initial step, the getting meetings, the cold outreach. Um, And yet we often see people at the very beginning stage of their career that land in that place. And to a certain extent, I think it does make a lot of sense because, um, Maybe younger people, a lot of times they're they're being compensated a little bit lower, and for some reason we view that that part of the sales process as maybe deserving of lower compensation. I, I don't know that that's appropriate, but that is how it how it often tends to be. Um, and to a certain extent, it's almost like you have to get those hard knocks, you know, early in your career and and learn by um, by kind of experiencing the grind. But then if If your organization is only set up so that you have young people who are doing lead gen and then the expectation is you move into outside sales, there are some people who are always going to stay good at at the lead gen and that's where they want to be. And so to be able to have a progression within that um, is good for them. But then there are people who are going to work through that and get really good at getting meetings, but then want to stretch and want to do different things and to say, okay, you could move into a completely different team that's got a different focus. That's a really encouraging thing to somebody who's maybe a few years out of college and is thinking, you know, I don't want to tread water making cold calls for the rest of my life. Um, And so it's a, it's a really nice um, opportunity for them to to see a a possibility. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so I think specialization's a a big one. Look, I'd say that the other step in my book that, that I'd like to highlight is to recruit and promote the right talent. So, so we covered a bit about the promote there. So, but I think recruiting the right talent, if you get this right, if you can be world-class in this and you don't do anything else to change your sales process or sales structure, you're going to be much more successful than mm-hmm. you are at the moment. I just think it's such a huge factor and almost everyone is getting this wrong. And, uh, what we see, and we see a lot of experienced sales managers, sales leaders, because of their experience, they really rely on their uh, on on an on an interview with someone. What we would call an unstructured interview, and they they think they can they can read the person. They got a sense of what sales is about, and just from having a conversation, they can assess if this is a, a good person or not. Um, but there's actually only like a 14% correlation between what we think happens in an unstructured interview and actual success of that person. Um, so I, I really encourage sales leaders to go beyond that. We've got to be moving to structured interviews. We've got to be doing uh, role plays and exercises uh, during the interview process. We need to be using independent assessments that will get at uh, you know, the core characteristics and strengths and weaknesses of that person. And when we think about the impact, the financial impact of getting hires wrong, um, it's absolutely massive. You know, the, the financial impact of, of a wrong hire is one and a half to two times the salary. That's the hard costs. And then there's all that opportunity cost of lost sales, lost margin, lost profit as well. So I really want sales leaders to become 
PhDs in hiring and really study this, invest time in it, and uh, it can have a, a huge impact. Absolutely. It's so, um, it's so incredibly important. What we see quite often is that uh, sales managers, when they're interviewing, they don't necessarily have practice doing that, and they were never trained. And so a lot of times, entirely by accident, it falls into just a kind of, do I like you? Can I have a conversation with yeah. you? Do I think you've got kind of what I feel it takes? And a lot of times it's, do you th- do I think you have um, similar characteristics as I do that help make me successful? Um, and instead they have those independent um, analysis. You know, I've seen organizations where they have three different executives do an unstructured interview. And then each of the three, it's almost like they met a completely different person. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. That, that's a problem. And, and some of these organizations that they're having six or eight or 10 people interview someone in an unstructured way, then they get together to compare notes and there's nothing comparable. Um, and if there's one thing, one thing that salespeople are good at, even if they're not great salespeople, they're generally good at building rapport and finding something in common. So if you let them start to control the interview, find something in common with you, you start going down different paths. Oh, yeah, I know that account. Oh, you know that account. Oh, you know this person. I know that person, this company. And you, you start to sort of feel good about the person. No, we've really got to focus on, for the specific role, what are the, the, the key attributes we're looking that will be successful for that role? And we need to be really digging into those attributes in a very in a detailed and structured way, looking for examples. It doesn't have to be cold. It can still be personable, still be professional. Professional, um, Yeah, but we, we need to, uh, to to get away from that, that feel uh, when we're interviewing. Definitely. I think one of the most basic things you can implement, certainly you need to be doing the things that you talked about in terms of role plays and assessments, but just the basic thing of an interview scorecard where you say oh, yeah. we're going to evaluate somebody on the yeah. same criteria. It's so foundational, and yet so many organizations don't do that. It's literally just put somebody in a room and talk. And I, I feel bad for people on both sides there. It's certainly not the manager's fault, the leader's fault, that they don't really know how to interview. It's not a skill that they ever learned. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I agree with you 100%. All right. Now, I mentioned in the intro that our theme for September is sales playbooks, why it's so important for a sales organization to build a sales playbook. Now, I know that that is a term that's very common here in the U.S., but I've had clients in um, in Europe and I think in Australia that don't necessarily use that word playbook. Maybe you call it a handbook instead. But um, do you feel like a sales playbook is a tool that uh, a sales team could find value from? And if so, how do you think it could contribute to really future-proofing a sales organization? Yeah, I, I think it's it's absolutely critical uh, for sales organizations. It's amazing how few actually have them, have a have a sales playbook. Um, and the, the, the practices in the sales organization just sort of get passed from manager to manager or they sort of depend on the individuals coming into the company. So, so you know, what's the alternative to having a sales playbook? It's really relying on individuals doing things in their own way and working it out for themselves. Um, and we're really seeding 
um, a lot of opportunity and a lot of control uh, if we do that. Uh, we, we don't really want our business to be individual dependent, to be so people dependent. Um, if we have a, a proper structure, if we can capture the learnings and the best practices and we can help folks that are coming in uh, to ramp up uh, more quickly and, and, and learn, um, you know, it, it's a benefit for our people and it's a benefit for the business. So I, I think there, there's a great case for having a, a sales playbook. Absolutely. That's one of the most important things I think of when, when I think of future-proofing an organization, because I take that, um, there are two directions that I take that in. First of all is what we've talked about a bit in terms of just meeting the needs of the market and being able to handle what it is that customers are asking for and, and kind of planning for the strategic future of your organization. But then there's just the fact of, of your team and future-proofing future your team. And people will move on. People will retire. Yep. Um, they'll, they'll get promoted. They'll, you know, they'll leave your organization. And if those best practices are locked inside their heads, your top salesperson leaves and that's suddenly gone. And so to have that sales playbook where, um, or handbook where, where they've shared their best practices and you've documented and you've figured out, you know, here's the thing that Julia does that's really effective. Let's make sure we capture that so somebody else could use it. Oh, here's the thing that Robert does um, that nobody else had really thought of. Let's put that in there too. And then you have that combination of your, your processes, but also just the best practices that people have learned over time work for them. It's amazing. Um, the different things that you can get from different people with their different ideas and experiences and processes. Um, and suddenly you've built a really robust tool that can you imagine being a new hire and walking in and having that available for oh, you? Well, I, I've never had it happen to me. I, I would love that. Um, but I'm working with several clients on on playbooks. And, and, and the book in some way is, you know, th th there's a lot of tools there in those seven steps that you can put into a playbook and adapt to your specific situation. Um, if we think about typical onboarding, um, a lot of companies taking this very seriously now, and uh, I'm pleased to see that. You see people arriving with their little welcome kit. They get their T-shirt and uh, they get a, a monogram pen or something and they put a little picture <laughs> on LinkedIn. It's lovely. Um, they're getting welcomed. They're probably getting uh, you know, a few days of product training, they're getting like uh, the CEO or the country managers giving them the strategy. They're getting their account list. They're learning how the CRM works. Like it looks really good, doesn't it? It looks very comprehensive, but it's missing all the important stuff. It's hopelessly inadequate for getting our salespeople ramped up to speed. Absolutely. You know, we're, we've got to be talking to them. Okay, here's how we manage the pipeline. Here are, the, here are the, the criteria for each stage for our business. Um, here are the types of personas and people that we sell to. Here's what we've analyzed and worked out is important to those people in, in, in these industries and these accounts. Uh, here are the value mm -hmm. props that work. Here's a set of value props that, that, that work. Uh, here's a cadence that works for us when we're prospecting. Uh, here's a an agenda that works well when we're running a customer workshop and running a discovery process. Um, you know, imagine if you can get all of that uh, early on and, and not have to figure that out for yourself and 
Um, you see a lot of organizations, yeah, it is locked up with, with some salespeople and, and I've seen some sales organizations, there's maybe some underperforming people there, but they know how the system works and they know how things work. So mm-hmm. they sort of the company hangs on to them for some reason because they, they haven't done this work of documenting how we want to do sales or what the best way for us to do sales is. Absolutely. Um, I think one of the most important tools that I see when it comes to onboarding is a library of success stories because stories are such a powerful tool when you're selling. And if you've been at an organization over time, you'll have those stories. And then you're coming on new and you're going out and an opportunity comes up to tell a story and you don't have a story to tell. And so um, then maybe you close one deal and you're telling that story over and over and over again because it's the only one you know. And so just simply documenting, here are some of our best success stories. Here are some things that worked really well. Um, here are some clients that we added a lot of value to. And um, what, what they found beneficial in our, in our program. Here are the problems that we solved for them. All of that, um, it just takes some time to build up that library, but then it's not just beneficial for new hires. You know, let's say I've sold um, primarily one type of customer with one type of problem, and that's the stories that I have, but you've sold a different kind of customer Mm. that has a different experience. And if I learn your success story, suddenly if I'm talking to somebody that's more like your kind of customer, I don't have to rely on my stories. I can tell your stories because they're the organization stories. And it really is an uplift for the entire sales team just to build some of these tools and collect these best practices, um, not just obviously for new hires, but really for everybody. Now you're talking my language. Uh, I, I, I'm a huge, huge fan of storytelling and, and <laughs> any, any sales leader or salesperson who's not onto this sales storytelling is to me, it's been the missing link, um, for professional sales mm-hmm. for a long time. Um, and if we think about how a lot of salespeople have been sort of told how to sell or taught how to sell in the last few years, say like with like like challenger methodology and 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 insight selling and and all of this, um, where we're meant to be telling the customer how they're not doing things in the ideal way, and here's a better way of doing it. Um, you know, most most salespeople can't get away with that, uh, but I think using stories is a very soft way, um, a very authentic way. And mm-hmm. engaging way to get customers, you know, open to new ideas, and uh, it, it's a great way to disrupt customers' thinking, which is exactly what we need to be doing. It's a great way to stand out. We know the way the brain works; the brain responds to stories much more than just giving facts and figures. Even if your product's twice as good as the next product, if you can wrap that into a story about how a customer got twice as much benefit. And that person got promoted. Absolutely, they generated a great outcome for their company. And that person's in the same role as the person you're talking to. You know, that's really going to have a huge impact. Absolutely. Yeah, it's something that I think a lot of people think, oh, I have to be a master storyteller. I have to be that person that can tell a perfect joke. And no, you actually find, um, they've done studies of this. In just normal day-to-day communication, we tell stories all the time. 
You tell your partner the story of your day when you get home from work. You ask your kids to tell you the story of, you know, what happened at school yeah. today. When you meet up with your friends, you each share the stories of what's happening in your lives. We, we tell stories all the time. It's how we actually connect to concepts. And then we come to work and we think that we have to just turn that part of our brains off. And instead, just default back to that normal style of communication. And it's so much easier, especially if you're selling something that's complicated and technical and maybe not the not the normal thing that your prospect knows all about, right? It's not like, I know I need a widget and you sell a widget, but it's a, it's a complicated, especially te technological solution um, to tell a story of how it added value to somebody, how, how they were able to um, you know, solve a problem within their organization because of this solution, suddenly it becomes really real for them and it, it comes to life. And that's just so incredibly important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> there are some fundamentals to telling a good sales story. And we must make sure we don't get them mixed up with case studies because um, a case study will usually, when marketing put a case study together, uh, we are the hero in that story. You know, our solution, our company did this and did that and yeah. you know, saved the day, right? So um, when we're doing a one-to-one a -one sales story with a customer, uh, the customer has to be the hero of that story and, and we're more like a guide that, that absolutely there and assisted. Yes. Uh, so I just make that that sort of clear distinction for the listeners. And I'm sure if they listen to your show, they know that well because I know uh, you're big on storytelling. <laughs> yep. Definitely. Well, I know that was a little bit of a rabbit trail, but it's something that I know you're passionate about. I'm very passionate oh, about. Yeah. We actually just spent um, an entire month talking about storytelling earlier this year. And so we'll include links to some of those episodes in the show notes for today if anybody wants to take a, a really deep dive into storytelling. But I am looking at the clock and realizing that um, we've, we've been having such a good conversation and I want to make sure I get some of these last questions oh, yeah, in. Sure. Some of them because... Um, all right. So one of the ones that I like to ask all of our guests, because a lot of our listeners are very much into learning and education and trying to just continue to develop themselves. Um, one of the best ways to do that is obviously reading. So what are some of your favorite sales or business growth books that you would recommend to our listeners? Um, some books that I've read recently that have really formed my thinking. Um, there's a book called The End of Competitive Advantage by uh, Rita Gunter McGrath. Uh, she's from Columbia University. And, and she really helped me get this very clear about the transient nature of, of competitive advantage and, and innovation. She doesn't talk about the sales function, but that's where I get my mm -hmm. thinking on you know, the sales function being so critical now because we can't expect our product to be better than the rest. So I really love that book. Um, I, I like studying the brain and how people work and psychology and everything. I think it's so critical when you're managing people and when you're Absolutely. customers. So uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman is an absolute classic that uh, was, was really revolutionary in how people thought about, you know, the two brains that we have, the fast brain and the slow brain, and how to activate them when you're talking to people, when you're working with people. Um, when you're talking to customers. Um, and then something that's maybe more practical along that same line is Sales Mind by Helen Kensett from the UK. It, it's just a, a short book but very dense with uh, lots of great tips and tools that 
lean on all the brain science and, and really have a lot of great sales methodologies and, and uh, methods we can use. I just love that that combination. I think the, the mix of the three different books there, you've got kind of the big picture strategy. You've got one just about kind of people and how people work. And they're really applying that to sales. A funny story, um, on the subway to work this morning, I actually saw somebody who was reading Thinking Fast and Slow. Okay. So um, <laughs> funny how that works out. Yeah. But uh, that's the only one of those three that I've read. And so I, I'll definitely be looking at the other two. I know I personally use um, this conversation and this question to always add additional books to my library of ones I need to read. Sure. <laughs> All right. Well, here at Let's Talk Sales, we are really focused on providing actionable best practices that our listeners can apply. I know that's something that you are also committed to just after reading, um, again, in your book and, and seeing your podcast and, and how you work. So what's one actionable tip that you would recommend for our listeners that they could apply today? Don't multitask. And uh, everyone should know that multitasking doesn't exist. Okay. When we think we're multitasking, we're actually single tasking and we're switching between tasks and there's a huge tax and a huge loss in productivity when we switch from one task to another task. So it takes us some time to start getting productive on that task again and if we're switching away, we're ramping up again on that, that next task. So some folks think they can multitask and when it comes to sales, okay, I'm going to be doing calls from this time to this time. That's all you do. I'm going to be doing my email two times a day, you know, 11 till 12, 4 till 4.30. Um, and I'm just going to focus on email. I'm not going to go off onto the web. And um, I'm going to focus on preparation or planning or planning a customer visit or planning my customer visits for the week. Just sit down and you'll get much mm -hmm. more productivity. So uh, I, I think that's uh, it can have a huge impact. Definitely. I could not agree with you more. Um, it, you see, I think that's something that just, um, that's a realization people have made over the last few years and where the thinking has really changed. Because for a lot of time, people really did think that it was all about multitasking. And I think almost the reason that we've noticed how much it doesn't work is because we have so many opportunities to do that. You know, we have um, those second screen experiences where we're trying to watch TV and also be on our phones and also on our computers at the same time. And we realize we're not paying attention to any of those three things or we're, we're just focused on one and not the others. I know deep work is another great book that really gets into that concept. Yeah, I mean, it's very destructive to our productivity, all of these distractions, and it it's now become a differentiator. Mm -hmm. If you can get on top of that, I think you can be very successful. If you can be slowing down, focusing on specific tasks, have time for thinking, clear thinking, clear strategy, clear planning time, uh, you're going to do very well. Mm -hmm. Definitely. All right. Well, Stephen, I have so much enjoyed our conversation today and learned a lot from you. And I know our listeners are going to be very interested in learning more about you and, um, and all of your work. So where would you like our listeners to go to learn more about you and what you do? You can easily find me on LinkedIn. So Stephen Norman uh, on LinkedIn in Sydney, Australia. Um, you can go to my website, growthacumen.com.au. And there's a lot of information about what I do and uh, blog posts, videos, uh, my 
po- links to my podcast. My podcast is called Future Proof Selling, so you can get that on on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, a whole bunch of places. So uh, plenty of places uh, to to get in touch. Would love to hear from people. Definitely. And I hope a lot of our listeners um, check all of that out, especially the listeners that we have in, in your area of the world and um, see whether there's, um, there's any business that they might want to do with you or even just, you know, continuing to read your book and listen to your podcast. Absolutely. They will learn a lot. So thank Thank you, Stephen, for speaking with me today. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for the show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 185. Be sure to tune in next week. I will be talking to the CEO and co-founder of Blissful Prospecting, a guy named Jason Ben. And in the meantime, check out this Friday's inspirational episode where Charles will be sharing a quote that is sure to inspire. As a reminder, if you have any feedback for us, topics, or questions that you want us to address, you can reach us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. If you are enjoying the show, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you happen to be listening today. While you're there, please leave us a rating or a review. This will help more people find the show, and it lets us know what's working and where we can improve. Remember to follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell, Laura Marchoff, and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling! 